You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Chris Cook. I'm the lead pastor here at Embassy. If you are new, super glad you're here. Uh, picked a great Sunday to come. Um, I am pumped um, about all the strike team stuff, the impression team stuff, and want to give a shout out to impressions team and just like clearing out the snow. Like that's above and beyond. That's that's over the top. So well done, guys. Uh, this morning, um, I am. Um, I want to reintroduce, or not reintroduce, but introduce again, I guess, um, for a second time, our sermon series. Because we started something new last week. Uh, so if this is your first time here, um, we are looking at the gospel period, is what we're calling it, um, this uh, spring as we lead up to April 17th. We're looking at the book of Galatians, okay? Um, and the book of Galatians is this jam-packed book um, that was written as a letter by the Apostle Paul to churches in the region of Galatia, okay? And you can read about this in Acts 13 and 14. But Paul planted these churches, okay, um, and years later he's writing this letter because Christians in the church were wandering from the gospel that they first received, this gospel of grace. And so Paul pens this letter, and, and last week we talked about the tone of the letter. I mean, it is a, a scathing rebuke because they are abandoning the gospel of grace, and abandoning the gospel of grace, they're abandoning Christ. And so, so it's a rebuke, but it, it's also a reassurance in what the gospel is. Uh, and as a young church plant, um, I can think of nothing better than for us to, to read the book of Galatians because it, it gives us such a clear picture of what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't and why it's so dangerous to abandon and wander from, why it's so dangerous to add to, okay? And so I really want us as a church um, to be <laughs> a faithful church that, that is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and nothing more and nothing less, okay? And so the gospel period, um, this sermon series is gonna, gonna help us take the gospel and, and hold it up like the gym that it is, and just turn it in the light, and just see the different facets of it, because the gospel isn't just the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z, and there's a temptation that we have as Christians to m try and move beyond the gospel, right, to, to, to wander from it, and so it's always, always important for us to, to draw back to it, because it's the source of, of, of the Christian life, okay, it's not the just beginning, um, but it's everything that sustains us as Christians, Okay, and so um, again, we will jump into what is this, this gospel of grace? What is this, this gospel of Jesus Christ that, that Paul is, is penning this letter about and warning these early Christians not to abandon, not to get away from? Um, what's going on here, again, if you read Acts 13, 14, and even 15, you'll get the picture of it, is there are Jewish Christians um, who have come into this Gentile Christian majority, majority fellowship and they've, they've, in a sense, added to the gospel. They've said, okay, well, justification by grace through faith isn't enough. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to keep the law. You need to essentially become Jewish to become Christian. Right? So they're, they're adding to the gospel of grace. Where, where God's unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor is just given, just freely given to you and me because of what Christ did on the cross. And we receive that by faith, not by earning it through faith plus a little works, a little effort of our own, but just, just sheer unadulterated grace. And, and this shift is subtle, okay? Um, it, it's not maybe some, some really clear teaching, um, and some of it is, is just, hey, Paul's not a real apostle and what he's teaching is off. Um, but um, a lot of it is just, it's subtle. It's a, a slight addition to what it means 
or what it looks like or what it takes to be righteous before God, to really stand before God and have a, a right relationship. Is it grace? Is it his doing? Or do we add anything to it? Do we top it off, you know, like a little click-click from a soda fountain? So that is where we're going. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can uh, turn to the book of Galatians. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, table of contents is uh, a friendly neighbor to ask directions from. And we're going to be in chapter 1, okay? Um, we're going to be in verses 11 all the way through the end of the chapter, 11 through 24. Actually, 10 through 24. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll add in that, that um, verse 10. But last week we looked at the singularity and the sufficiency of the gospel. And if you missed that, you can, you can pull up the podcast. But we saw Paul open his letter going, there's one gospel, one true gospel. There's a lot of false gospels, a lot of little g gospels, a lot of lowercase g gospels. But there's one true gospel. And that's heaven's proclamation to earth that God is for you. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Okay? And that's the the singular gospel that he's proclaiming, um, and that gospel is not only singular, it's sufficient, okay? It's sufficient. There's, not, there's nothing lacking in the person of Christ or the act of his substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. And again, most Christians would never say that. Most Christians would never say, man, Christ isn't enough. Man, the cross wasn't enough. But, but the way most Christians can often act is as if that's so. Because it's such a, such a temptation for us to add to the gospel, to, to top it off, to, to go, okay, well, yes, God's grace, but, but my morality. All right? I'm not saying works don't matter. Paul's not saying works don't matter. But the order in which you put them in the Christian life is really, really important. Okay? If works are not an outflow of God's grace, undeserved, merited, unmerited favor towards you, then you're adding it into the mix and making this concoction that is faith and works, and you're getting away from the gospel of grace. Okay? So um, I want to see if you can actually hum this. Well, I'm not going to hum it. I'm just going to read it um, or I'm going to recite it. But, but recite along with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know the song? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Right? This is, this is a theme. It's a song that, that makes our, our, our hearts soar. Okay? And, and grace is... Um, does that to us. Like grace, grace is impactful, it, it's, it's, it's lovely, it, it's, it's attractional, it's just, it's good. And we write songs about them, we sing about them. But what is grace really? And underneath that, I think the question that, that Paul answers for us this morning is, is it too good to be true? All right, what is grace really and is it too good to be true? Can we trust it is what I'm really getting at. Like can you trust that, that grace is enough. Because the temptation, again, is for us to get away from grace. Grace is slippery. It's like a wet bar of ivory soap, right? You, you grab it and you want to hold on to it, but it's hard to get it. And when you do get it, you find yourself in the Christian life losing it, right? Squeezing it. It just slips out your hands. And so I want to look at this idea of grace. I want to drill down on what it is. Okay, so we have a clear concept of it. Um, a clear uh, statement and, and even a few stories of it. Um, but, but I want us to, to, to really ultimately get at the, the question beneath the question, which is can we trust it? Is it too good to be true? Because that's what these Galatian Christians believed. Again, they wouldn't say it, but that was the sense. This grace thing is too good to be true. And that's what these false teachers are reinforcing for them. Okay? So what is grace? How can we know it's true? Again, 
Uh, definitionally, and, and I hate to almost reduce grace to a definition, to a statement, but, but grace is the unmerited favor of God. Okay, that's how we're talking about it here. The unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. That God loves you because he is loving, not because you and I are lovable. That his, his actions come out of his character, they're not in response to ours. Okay? This is what sets Christianity in Paul's gospel over and above and, and completely apart from anything else in this earth. Any other religion. Okay, Christianity is, is essentially anti-religion to religion. It is unique in that regard. That it doesn't tether God's pleasure to our performance. All right, we're tracking with that? And grace is on display, on display all throughout this book. From Genesis to Revelation, from cover to cover, you see this theme of grace. Okay, and I, I can just walk through story after story. Some of the most shocking ones. Um, the story of Jonah, Okay. Uh, we've all read children's Bibles. Um, for whatever reason, when we put children's Bibles together, we only pick the stories with animals. Um, but it's true, um, which is why children's Bibles are usually pretty incomplete about the narrative of, of, of what God is doing in redemptive history. But Jonah, okay, fish. But what's going on in that picture? You had this entire society, the Assyrian people, which, I mean, golly, if you go to the British Museum today and you look at the, re the, the reliefs of what the Assyrians carved, what they boasted about was how wicked they were. I mean, even when you look at empires in, in the grand scheme of things, you're like, man, the Assyrians are, are pretty much at the top of it, All right? So the capital of the Assyrian empire is Nineveh, and these are a wicked, wicked people. And God, in his grace, says, hey, Jonah, go warn them that my just judgment is coming because I long for their repentance and their return. And Jonah's like, are you kidding me? Now, again, these are the people that are, years later going to wipe out the nation of Israel. And God is sending a prophet not to his own people, but to those who aren't his people. And they repent. And God stays his just, his just judgment. Right? Not because they're good, but because God is good. Okay? That's grace. That's shocking. And that's one of the things that, that you know you're looking at grace is it shocks you. If it doesn't take your breath away, if it doesn't make you go, wait a minute, if it doesn't cause you to pause or, or hesitate, maybe you're not, you're not looking at grace, okay? Fast forward maybe from the Old Testament to the New Testament, a picture of grace. Not a bad civilization, but a bad person. The criminal on the cross next to Jesus, justly suffering, capital punishment for what he's done, hasn't lived a good life in any way, shape, or form, and all he utters is, remember me. And Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Amen. And he closes his eyes and he opens them to just celestial joy. It's not fair, right? This guy's at the back of the line and he just jumped to the front. And you and I have been slugging it out in this religion thing, right? We've been coming to church Sunday after Sunday. We've been performing. We've been not doing the things we shouldn't do. We've been doing the things we should do. That's not fair. At its face, grace looks quite unjust, Quite unfair, quite offensive. That's how you know it's grace. And if you've never been offended by it, you maybe have not looked at grace. Okay? This is the idea that Paul's getting at. His gospel of grace is the thing that the Galatian Christians are getting away from. And he's going, when you lose this, you lose everything. So how do we know? Right? How do we know that grace isn't too good to be true? That 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 we can really hold on to it. How do, how does 
how does grace not be that slippery bar of ivory soap that every time we squeeze it, right, it just, it just falls out of our hands, okay? So I'm going to read for us Galatians 1, 10 through 24, uh, and then I'll, um, I'll break it down a little bit. But this is, this is the Apostle Paul defending his apostleship. He's not defending himself, but he's defending his message. So defend it, to defend his message, he has to defend himself as the messenger. And we're going to learn a lot um, by looking at the challenges that are being put against his message and against him as the messenger. Okay, looking at the arguments against the gospel of grace is going to help us understand grace even more. So I'm going to read for us. I'm going to start in verse 10. And I'm going to read all the way through the end of the chapter. Uh, if you have a Bible or you're on your app, follow along with me. He says this, he says, for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We'll come back to that. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached to me is not one of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came to me by revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the tra tra traditions of my ancestors. And when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, that's Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally, uh, personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. And he simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. All right, so what we have here is Paul defending his apostleship. Paul is defending himself as a messenger because he's trying to ultimately defend the message. Paul is not vain enough to consider himself of anything. He writes that over and over again in his letters. But he is dead set on not letting the gospel of grace become adulterated. Not letting anyone add to it so it's preserved for you and me today, 2,000 years later. Okay? Okay. Um, and so what are the arguments against Paul? Essentially, there's three, okay? Um, and, and, and I think it, it starts like this. Um, Paul's gospel of grace is inferior, right, to our gospel. This is what the Judaizers, the, the, the Jewish Christians were, were propagating. It's inferior because it's too simple. It's too simple, right? And, and maybe you think that too. Um, again, you may not say it. You may say it. But, but, but it's too simple. Grace is too, too simple. What you're telling me. That God is, is, is favorable towards me because of what Jesus did on the cross and I don't have to do anything to earn it? Like, that, that's just too easy. That's easy believism, right? I, I, I got to add to it, right? What do you mean? Like, I, I, I got to, like, I mean, join some order or, again, like, start doing some things in response. Or I, I got to at least prove it right that, that God chose me and not someone else. It's too simple, okay? And so, again, Paul is going... It may be simple, but it's because you're not hearing it and you're not understanding it, okay? Um, and so behind being too simple, the second argument was it was self-made, okay? 
It was, Paul, you spent too much time in your own studies, and you came up with this on your own, right? You, you, you almost just picked up the scriptures, and just like any other false prophet, you just kind of weave this story together. But, but this theme of grace really isn't how God works. It's not how he interacts with his people, right? We got the law. What's the purpose of the law, Paul? Right? Is there any reason for the law if it's really just that simple, that, that, that God's grace is what matters when it comes to our relationship with him? That, that, that is the only thing by which man can be justified by before God, okay? So it's too simple, it's self-made, and, and thirdly, it's secondary. What the, the false teachers are arguing is that Paul actually um, has a secondary gospel, that, that the gospel preached by the true apostles, the true capital A apostles in Jerusalem is the real gospel, the Jewish gospel, if you will, and Paul's Gentile gospel is secondary. It's inferior. It's not enough. And you can think of the, 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 the massive consequence of what's going on here, okay? Because if Paul doesn't defend his gospel, what you have at the very origins of the Christian church is a massive divide between Jew and Gentile, okay? And this hurdle that these Judaizers are setting up is you have to become Jewish to become Christian, to access the grace of Jesus Christ, you also or precedingly have to be circumcised, have to follow the law, and have to do all the do's and don'ts. And Paul's going, not so. And there's only one gospel, and Jew and Gentile are both right before God by grace through faith. Okay? Right? So how does Paul make this argument? Two things. He, he points to its origin, look at verses 11 and 12, and then he's going to point to its outworking. Okay? How do we know that the gospel of grace isn't too good to be true? The origin and the outworking. Where did it come from and what does it produce in a person when it really roots itself in their heart? Okay? Look at the origin. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. This isn't earthly. This is heavenly. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I, I taught it. But it came to me by revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Right? I, I didn't reason myself to it. I, 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 didn't, I didn't invent it. Okay? It didn't come by, by tradition. I didn't, I didn't get it from the, the apostles in Jerusalem. I didn't even go talk to them for three years. And when I did, I just spent 15 days with James and Peter. And then it was another 14 years before I went back up to Jerusalem. Paul is claiming divine revelation from the risen Christ. And we got to deal with that. Okay? But in the best way, that gives us certainty, security, that the gospel he is preaching is not just some self-help, just, just get you a little, you know, click top over uh, of being good enough. Right? This is heaven's proclamation to earth of what God has done for us. It comes by revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't make it. He didn't take it. He received it. Okay? And again, very, very practically... Um, this is huge because, again, for him to make it, he'd be a false prophet. For him to take it, he'd be an inferior apostle. He wouldn't be a capital A apostle. He'd be a lowercase a apostle. Capital A apostles got their message directly from Jesus, right? So we have the 12, save Judas, and we have here the apostle Paul, okay? Lowercase a apostle is not the same thing. Capital A apostles, big deal, right? They were taught by Jesus Christ, firsthand accounts. And Paul's going... Bro, Jesus showed up and revealed himself to me and gave me his gospel. And then Paul went out and preached. And so there isn't two gospels. There's not a gospel for the Gentiles, a gospel for the Jews. There's a gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of grace. And he's preaching what Christ gave him, okay? 
But more applicably today, um, it's not too simple. It's not too good to be true, okay? Man, when you think about grace, it's one of those ideas that, again, it's, it seems, again, too good to be true. Um, but, but the confirmation that grace is what it is, and it's what we can put our hope and trust in, is that it comes from the very lips of Christ himself. Again, this is the Jesus that reveals himself to Paul. And so Paul's going, I got it from Jesus. And, and I want to not just say where I got it from. I want you to see its effects. Okay? That it's not just of heavenly origin, but, but it's of heavenly outworking. And so what Paul's about to do then is actually share his testimony and his story. Okay? Look down from verses 13 on down. Okay? Because he's going to talk about the outworking of the gospel of grace. All right, Paul himself is a case study for grace. All right, he's going to share his testimony, and, he, and we looked at this. Uh, man, where were we? We were, st- we were walking through Acts. Um, Paul shares his testimony in the back of Acts twice, um, but but just three really clear movements. Right before he heard the gospel of grace, when he hears the gospel of grace, and after. Okay, you're going to hear Paul's testimony, but Paul himself is is the perfect case study that grace works, you know, that, that, that grace, when it actually roots itself in our heart, when we understand and we receive and respond to God's unmerited favor, it's transformative, okay? When that revolution, a revelation actually roots itself in the human heart, it becomes a revolution in that person's life. That's how you know God, grace is real, all right? You know grace is real because it's unearthly. It, it doesn't add up in human terms, right? We don't get what we deserve because what we deserve for our sin is judgment. And the gospel of grace comes in and says, God took that judgment on himself and gave us Christ's righteousness, right? Christ took our sin, he gave us his righteousness. So that's an unearthly message. Um, That's how we know the revelation's real, but, but we also are looking at the revolution that comes from the outworking of it. Is there transformation, is something happening in that person, okay? And Paul, again, is this, this perfect case study. And so Paul's going to share his story, and I want to kind of work through it uh, in those three movements. Before grace was revealed, um, when great grace was revealed, and after. Look at Paul's life before he heard the gospel of grace. This is what he says. He says, look at the outworking of the gospel of grace. In my own life, you've heard of my former life in Judaism, I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people. I was extremely zealous for the transitions, traditions of my ancestors. So before grace, Paul was at the front of the line when it came to works. Now we got to grasp this. Before grace, Paul was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like if anybody was at the front of the line when it came to religiosity, It's Pharisee Paul. But what's going on here? Paul, in his zealousness, is actually destroying the very church that he longs to be a part of. In in his zeal to to please God, he's actually fighting against God. Paul's so turned around and so upside down in his attempt to perform for God that, that he is persecuting Christians and killing them. All right, so what does this tell us? It tells us sincerity is not authenticity. 
that you can be sincerely wrong. You can be convinced as all get out that you are good to go. You can be religious as can be and be lost as can be. Paul was sincere and sincerely wrong to the point that he was killing other Christians. And it took a revelation from God to open his eyes to see that. Okay? Fundamental to the Christian faith is, is not having this, this supreme confidence in our ability to kind of like reason ourselves to being right. You can't get yourself there. The Bible is so clear of the depravity and the brokenness caused by sin. It says that we are lost, that we are drowning, that we are estranged. And it takes nothing less than the revelation of God to break in and save Paul. And it's no different for you. It's no different for anybody else. It takes God stepping in and changing that. Okay? So, here's Paul before grace was revealed. And this is what he says in verse 15 through the first part of 16. Look what he says. He says, but when God who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased, pleased to reveal his son to me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. Now, I love this phrase, and it's, it's one of the most beautiful phrases. Paul actually uses it multiple times in his writings. But God. But God. Ephesians 2, one of the most powerful chapters in all of Scripture. But God. Titus 3. But God. Paul, again, using himself as the case study, the outworking of the gospel of grace goes, if there's anybody, anybody that works we're working for, it was me. But God stepped in, revealed the gospel of grace to me, and it absolutely changed my life. And then Paul starts to see, man, God's been working in my life long before that encounter, okay? Long before he ever met Jesus on the road to Damascus, God was at work. Look at this. God, by his grace, sets Paul apart. He calls Paul. He's pleased to reveal himself to Paul. Where is Paul's effort, energy, or earning in any of this salvific process? It's not there. It's not there at all. In his mother's womb, right? How? How in your mother's womb do you have any bearing on whether or not God is favorable towards you? You and I don't. But this is what the Bible clearly communicates as God's work in salvation. As it's starting way back when, before you even saw God working in your life. When you were a hellraiser, right? When you, when you were just tearing it up and you were opposed to God, God was still working. If you're a Christian, way back here. And look at Paul, like, I mean, if there's anybody, and John Stott writes it this way. I'm going to read this quote because he gets it right on. He says, a man in that mental state, talking about Paul, that emotional state, is in no mood to change his mind or even have his mind changed for him. No conditioned reflex or other psychological advice could convert a man in that state. Only God could reach him, and God did. Think about it. Again, Paul's using himself as the case study. He's sharing his testimony. He's going, God was working before I was born when I was in my mother's womb. If that's not evidence that it's grace alone, I don't know what is. And hey, shoot, when, when I when I would met Christ on the road to Damascus. This is what I was doing. I, I didn't reason myself to this by studying the scriptures and kind of figure this out. Like I was absolutely opposed to God and God stepped in and changed my life. And this is true for any Christian. 
This is why it's grace alone. But again, there's a temptation for the Christian to get away from grace. That when it comes to, and I'm using bigger theological terms, this umbrella um, term is, is this salvific process, and sanctification sits in it. When it comes to sanctification, when it comes to God making us more and more holy to look like him, okay, the Christian life, we want to add to it, right? And, and we want to work it out. And, and God is clear on our, our responsibility to join him in that. But part of that process and part of us working out our salvation, it can trick us into thinking that we earned it. That in some way we're responsible for it. That in some way how good we do or don't do changes the way God interacts with us or, or, or looks at us. And we lose this concept of just being in Christ and rooted in his righteousness. And we can't lose that. If we lose that, we lose the gospel of grace, okay? So look at this third part, after grace is revealed, right? So before grace, when grace is revealed, but then after. Look at Galatians 16b all the way through 24. Again, this is his argument back to these false, these false uh, prophets. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to go talk to the apostles. I went to Arabia, went back to Damascus, and then after three years I finally went up and he says, I only met with two of them, Cephas, who's Peter, and, and James. And then I didn't go back up for another 14 years. So Paul is changed by the gospel and he starts preaching it to the Gentiles. And this is good news because, again, last time I checked, nobody in here is Jewish. What Paul is, is preserving here for the early church and the 21st century church is the gospel of grace. That you and I don't need to clean ourselves up, fix ourselves up, or, or perform in any way to be righteous before God. That God has done that sufficiently through the perfect work of Jesus Christ in the past. And that act in the past affects everything in the future for us. For the Christian, think about this. Our judgment Yes, one day will be in the future, but it's certain because it's already been in the past. That gives a Christian a, a degree of phenomenal um, fortitude and confidence, but at the same time, a, a phenomenal degree of humility, right? Because it's not based upon our performance. That's why Christians, they live differently. They act differently. They can walk out, out into this world with, with security, with hope, with conviction, but with deep humility, This is the gospel of grace. This is what changes Paul. And again, the irony almost, Charles Spurgeon calls it remarkable, that, that the strictest of Pharisees becomes the champion of the doctrines of justification by grace through faith. And all throughout church history, you see story after story and movement after movement, this temptation to get away from it. It's too simple. It's too easy. Got to add a little bit to it. And, and we see it in our contemporary day. Again, Christians, most of them won't come out and say it. They'll affirm the doctrines. But, but the way it's lived says something. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm right with God because of this. But you got to dress this way. You got to act this way. You gotta believe these things exactly this way. 
And I'm not talking about primary or, 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 or first tier, top tier theological truths about who God is and how he's revealed himself. I'm talking about taking third tier stuff and raising it up to, to first tier stuff. And we get away from the gospel of grace. And we minimize it. We mix works in. We mix our performance in. And, and Paul is just adamant that we can't do that. So back to our original question. Let me tie it off for us. Is grace too good to be true? Like, can you, can you really just sit in it? Like, can you really be acceptable to God because of what Jesus did for you? And just saying thank you. Right? Re- receiving that in faith. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Absolutely. And you can hold on to it. Grace is true because it's not earthly. It's, it's heavenly. No one could have made this stuff up. Right? You didn't have 12 disciples kind of get, get together like you know, a 2,000-year-old Illuminati and just kind of smoke-filled room. Like, man, let's just, let's just hose the world, you know, smoking a cigar. Let's just confuse everybody. Like human beings don't come up with this stuff. Its origin is not earthly. It's heavenly, and it's outworking. You see it in the life of Paul, and you see it in the life of Christians around you. You go, man, like there's something different about that person. Something's going on. You know what that is? It's, it's grace being rooted in their hearts. And when grace gets in there, it changes the way you see yourself. Because when you see that God sees you differently, you see yourself differently. And you can't help but see the world around you differently. So you start to treat people differently. And the outworking of it, it, it it's a revolution. It's powerful. This is what changed me. Golly, some 20 years ago. Wait, you mean Jesus died for me? When the gospel moved from concept to concrete, when it, when it moved from just getting things right and in order so I could earn my salvation by believing things rightly. Again, I would have never said I, I didn't agree with anything. If, if I heard this sermon, I'd be like, yep, yep, yep. But there, there, was, there was no revelation in, in my life personally. I, I didn't know God personally. Because grace hasn't, hadn't melted my heart. And there was no revolution in my life. My life looked no different than any other cultural Christian. Yeah, the, the culture had impacted me. Because the culture had remnants of Christianity. I, I understood morals and, and wanted to, to hold to certain virtues. But it wasn't anything like I would read about when I opened up the Bible and saw Christians like Paul. I go, whoa. And then I just heard it. And I may be mixing my terms here. It wasn't a revelation to me, it was an illumination. But it was an illumination that Jesus is real, that he's a person, that he's alive. That he's been resurrected and raised and sits at the right hand of the Father. And by his Spirit's work in this world, he is moving and calling people to himself. And he called me, Chris Cook. And grace wasn't just a concept. Very concretely, I saw my sin. And I saw my need for a Savior. And so my question for you is, has that happened? 
or if you've just been around church and around Christian circles and, and heard these, these truths, but it's never just impacted you. You haven't been like Paul where, where the gospel of grace has really been, not revealed, but just illuminated to you. And there hasn't been just an outworking of it in your life. I, I, I want us to be the kind of church that, that really stops and thinks and ponders and considers these things. You know, I, I read the, um, well, a few of them at least, uh, of the verses of Amazing Grace. Powerful song, powerful hymn. You know the story behind it? John Milton, who wrote it? So John Milton um, was a Brit. And as a young man, his father was a, a naval officer, brought him uh, to sea, and he was pressed into service. All right, this is pretty common. Uh, British Navy, you were forced into service, uh, couldn't get out of it. Um, and if you did, it was treason, right? Cost of death. And so, in a sense, he was enslaved. And then he got into the slave trade himself, right? Hurt people hurt people. So, He's enslaved, he gets into the slave trade himself, and he actually gets enslaved by an enslaver in Africa. His life story is crazy. And he's a horrible person. He's a hell raiser. In every sense of the word, he is enslaving other human beings. He's passing on his pain. And he radically gets saved. He hears the gospel of grace, and it changes him. He hears how God sees him and what Christ has done for him. And it changes how he sees his fellow man, how he sees himself and how he sees others. He actually ends up becoming an Anglican priest. And he ends up writing a pamphlet. And this pamphlet is what God used um, in the most providential way uh, to bring the end of the slave trade in the British Empire. Because William Wilberforce, uh, if you don't know that name, you should, um, who was a statesman in Britain, um, fought alongside John Milton and this pamphlet and a, a lot of others who will never know their names to end the enslavement of other human beings. This is wrong, okay? But what I want to point out is, is it's not just the Apostle Paul who, who had the gospel of grace just root himself in his heart and you saw just the revolution in his life the author of this song, Amazing Grace, was an enslaver, a terrible person. But he got grace. And when he did, it changed him. All right? he, he, he didn't write this song at the end of his life after he cleaned it up and did all these awesome things to absolve for his sins. No, he was a terrible person. And even what he did do, all the good things he could have stacked up, it probably wouldn't balance out the terrible things that he did. But his hope, his confidence as he stood before God, was not in his own self-righteousness. It was in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that had been graciously given to him. That's the gospel. Because John Milton wasn't good enough. Nor are you. Nor am I. And so I want to close with just that. I want to close with the challenge. As you look at your life, as you look at where your confidence is, as you ask that question, is grace too good to be true? When you think about relating to God and standing before him and, and where his pleasure comes from, do you know that it comes from the performance of Jesus Christ on that cross 2,000 years ago? 
Or in some small way, do you think it comes from yours? If you do, you're trying to earn your salvation, and you can't. The most freeing thing I can tell you is that, is that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. Right? You don't have to keep it up. Get off the hamster wheel of religion and step into the just beautiful, beautiful pool of grace. And swim in it and enjoy it and just soak it in. This is what God, I mean, this is what Paul fought to preserve. And I don't want us to throw it away, okay? Let me pray for us that we would be a church, man, that, that, that never moves beyond grace. Unadulterated, beautiful grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of the gospel. We thank you for Galatians. We thank you for Paul's fervor to fight for the veracity of the gospel so that we can have it today, that it is a heavenly message, a heavenly message, that it wasn't, it wasn't thought up by man. Paul didn't reason to it. We can't reason ourselves to anything either. You got to break in in the same way, and so I pray that you would. I pray that you break in to our lives in more and more powerful ways, that we'd see grace for what it is, that we'd be changed by it, and that it lead to just a revolution in our hearts, in our own lives, that it would change us from the inside out. And it would do what it's been doing for 2,000 years. It'd do it in our community. It'd do it in our city. It'd do, us, do it in us. And it'd do it through us. And that you'd be glorified from it. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gospel of grace. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.